I'm Barry Ritholtz. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Hot Pursuit. So today we have a special treat. Barry Ritholtz is back again to co-host with me. Matt Miller, our usual co-host, is out because his wife is having a baby this week. So I guess that takes precedence, uh, and rightfully so, over recording a podcast. Um, But we have a lot of really fun things to talk about. Uh, First up, Aston Martin owner Lawrence Stroll has sold a minority stake in his Aston Martin Formula One team. Then we'll talk about the Formula One race in Las Vegas, which was a wonderful glitter circus so we can get into that that was fun and then i want to talk about uh this michael mann ferrari movie that we've been hearing about and then let's see i drove the audi sq8 e-tron last week we can talk about that and then what are you driving over the holidays so let's get right to it barry thank you so much for joining us let's talk about this aston martin sell-off did you see the news and how did that strike you Uh, you know it's not a wholesale transaction it's a minority stake suggests, hey, you know, F1 teams have gone up in value dramatically, partly due to Drive to Survive uh, on Netflix. It looks like someone is taking a little profits off the top. I'm not reading more into that unless you're going to break some news. No, you know, it's really interesting. I did talk with Lawrence Stroll in Las Vegas, and, you know, you kind of hear things trickling through the grapevine oh this is an indicator he's not committed he's just trying to siphon off some of his shares but you know he really really tried to reiterate the fact that that is not the case he's 100 percent committed he did say repeatedly that the racing team is profitable so this wasn't about raising cash this was more about trying to leverage some of the other franchises that this equity firm it's called arctos partners Uh, based in Dallas, and they do own a lot of other properties. So it seems like this is more of a strategic thing. But Lawrence really did say, you know, Formula One has been, he used the word transformational for Aston Martin's brand. I think you're an Aston Martin fan. I think I seem to remember that, Barry. Well, I'm a big fan of some of the older DB5s. The challenge with some of the newer cars is that they're festooned with a lot of two-generation-old Mercedes technology, But they're still amongst the most beautiful cars on the road, and that's the car lover's dilemma. Do you go for the looks or do you go for the brains? And and Aston Martin has fabulous looks, but not necessarily great brains. You know, sometimes that's a dilemma in more things besides cars. (laughs) I'm not, I (laughs) I Uh seem to remember from my dating Uh years. That's right. I mean, we all can relate, right? Why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't it be both? (laughs) You know, if you look at the history of Aston Martin, this is a relatively new thing that these teams are worth a billion dollars. Yeah. The, the sport's been around for decades, and it's been a wealthy person's hobby because it's so expensive and rarely profitable, except for hmm. one or two of the teams. So I'm you know, not surprised that somebody has been carrying a team for as long as Aston Martin Group has been carried by Stroll. For him to say, yeah, I'm going to sell a little bit because it's worth... 20x what it was 10 years ago? Yeah. I I don't have any problems with that. Yeah. And Stroll did say, look, last year, more than half of the people who bought a new Aston Martin were new to the brand. And he attributes that rise 
basically solely to Formula One, which I thought was really interesting. That's enormous. That's yeah, a that's tremendous. Enormous. You know, the old expression was win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Sure. And, and that's why you have, whether it's NASCAR or anything else in, in the United States, not a big surprise that when the team does well, hey, they sell more cars. Mm. Not that the purchasers of the Aston Martin DBX SUV is going to hmm. be, you know, racing that, but the fact that you could go buy a 700 horsepower SUV after watching the team do well on Formula 1, not completely unrelated. So I'm not surprised he he mentioned the the relationship between the team and Aston Martin proper. Speaking of Formula One, did you watch the race at all last weekend? I weekend? did not. I was at the race, and it was a success, and we can get into that for a second. But unfortunately, the TV time did make it a little bit hard for those of you on the East Coast. I mean, the race started at 10 Pacific, so that's a bit of a tricky time uh, to watch. I think that time was linked to when European fans could watch on Sunday morning. I was there for four days, which is probably one day too long in Las Vegas. But the the race itself, there were some hiccups, of course. I'm sure you've heard about the The manhole manhole cover. cover, Yes, and I was actually physically uh, trackside when that happened. That was unfortunate, but you know, from what I understand, that in itself wasn't a demerit on failure to plan on the part of Las Vegas. Um, but what was kind of a demerit was the fact that they kept fans in the stands while they tried to fix the manhole cover until 2.30, almost 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. They resumed racing at 3 in the morning, but they kicked fans out at 2 because they didn't have enough staff to cover security. So people were kind of upset about that. Which was unfortunate. That's poor planning. How do you that not was, have contingencies for, well, hey, it's not like there are races where there are, I don't know, crashes and things go wrong. I mean, how this happens on a regular. How, how could they not be prepped for that? And you think out of any city in the city besides New York City... What city is a 24-hour town? That's Las Vegas. How can you not have another shift of guys, you know, coming on? It's kind of a head-scratcher on that. But, you know, the actual race itself turned out to be really exciting. Obviously, we all knew Max Verstappen was going to win. But the race for second was really exciting, I thought. And, you know, who doesn't love a Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc? standoff. And I have to say, everybody was in a really good mood. People were happy. Um, The logistics were easy. There were signs everywhere. I didn't have trouble getting around. I thought it might be a bit of a circus. But yeah, I mean, Barry, we got to get you out to Vegas. Uh, I know you say you don't like it. Well, I'm going to be in Vegas for for the Market Council Conference in December. And I I actually have the better part of, of half a day free, and I'm looking for something away from the strip to to keep me entertained. I don't know if I could do a half day of driving school at Lamborghini, but um, that might be fun. That would be so fun. Speaking of Lamborghini, our tribal Ferrari, I did watch that movie when I was in Vegas. I bet you they'll have screenings when you go to Vegas, maybe, of the Uh, Ferrari movie. What'd you think of it? Well... But by the way, you lost me at Michael Mann's Ferrari. You lost me at the first two words. You're not a Michael Mann fan. Um, I could watch the first Transformers movie if I have to. Well, the verdict on Ferrari for me was Penelope Cruz was the only thing that kept me in the theater. Let's say that. She's always great. She's incredible. She's incredible. Both her acting and her character. She plays the wife of Enzo Ferrari, Laura. 
um, who actually is really an equal partner with him. She sort of runs the books and keeps the house in order as best she can um, in terms of the racing team. And I think Adam Driver did a good job, too, with the acting. But the CGI effects of several different crashes um, in the film, which takes place just during 1957, just the one year where they're really trying to win the Milamilia race in Italy. Um, some of the crashes just looked ridiculous. Oh, and really? It just was so fake and kind of gratuitous. Um, I don't know. Do you Are you a fan of car movies, Barry? Of Ford course, of course. Um, I watched a, a YouTube documentary on the making of the Fast and Furious films, of which I am not a giant fan. However, one of the things that was so fascinating is they used as little CGI as possible. When you see these cars flip and smash, or or when that Honda goes under the tractor trailer yes. in that very famous scene, yes. those are real drivers doing those actual stunts. There's very little green screen. In fact, they won an Academy Award for creating this new type of rig that allows the actor to sit in what looks much more like a real car than just the usual, you know, the projected screen behind you. And you're actually out there doing the stunts as they're filming. It, it, it's really quite fascinating approach. Sometimes you have to forego the technology and actually get a couple of cars out on the road and see what's going to happen. I totally, totally agree. There's nothing that can really beat actual driving. I mean, even the shifting, you know, the gated shifting in the Ferraris, it, it just seemed a little off to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Did you see Ford versus Ferrari? Oh, God, I love that movie. That, yeah. that was great as a car movie, but it was also a great movie. And if you can check both of those boxes, yeah. that's a winner. And I am obviously not the only one who thinks that way. It did great at the box office. I haven't rewatched it. I wanted to let enough time go by so it was fresh again. Yeah. But But that's in my list of films to see again soon. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what we're driving over the holiday. I just drove the Audi SQ8 e-tron. That is their luxury electric big SUV. I liked it. Surprisingly agile. Have you driven any of the Audi e-trons, Barry? I have not. I, I've okay. driven the Taycan from Porsche, which is the same platform, Yeah. just tuned to be pure sport as opposed to more functional, but it's a very worthwhile platform and it delivers a, a pretty robust performance. What was your impression yeah. of the big Audi? I have to say I liked it. And the interesting thing, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Porsche because Audi's going to be building a lot of their upcoming EVs on the same PPE platform that Porsche developed. So, I mean, we are talking very, very close siblings here anyway. In terms of the SQ8 e-tron, I have to say I drove a sportback version, which basically just means the roof line is a little bit more aggressively right. sloped. No difference in the in the performance, but I really liked it. Ultra, ultra quiet inside, like as quiet as a A8 sedan and very surprisingly nimble for a 6,000 pound SUV. Audi's nice because if you don't like all of the screens that you're going to find in a Mercedes and you want something that's a little more intuitive and less crazy inside than some of what BMW is doing, Audi's kind of a nice in-between to me. I totally get that. You, yeah. you, you look at how funkified 
if that's a word, <laughs> the things you see from Hyundai and Kia on their EV side, and the whole BMW I line of EVs, they all have like this attempt to be a little different and and set aside from what the internal combustion cars look like. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of that. The Audis, unless you know exactly what you're looking at and say, I know this is an EV, they don't look all that different from the rest of the Audi line. Yeah, and which I, is good to me. I agree. I don't yeah. think that yeah. just because you want an electric platform doesn't mean suddenly you've given up everything you know and love about automobiles right. and the way lines should be and the way a car should be designed. Uh, and I'm with you. When I, when I first saw that... The EQS screens on the interior um, that are the size of a small movie theater, it's like, wow, that's really technologically impressive. And mm-hmm. then it's like, hey, wait, everything goes through the screen? Can I yeah. just raise the volume of the radio or lower the fan on the heat? Do I have to always go through a screen? So I'm I'm hoping people find a happy medium in terms of usability and ergonomics, it looks like Audi seems to have gotten there first. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Are you driving a Mercedes over the holiday? Well, first of all, I'm driving a, a 737 to Chicago. Okay, got it. But, but when I'm there, my brother-in-law has had a series of very interesting cars. I used to enjoy his uh, Camaro Z28 back in the day. Mm. The problem is, if you're in Chicago... In late November, those sticky summer performance <laughs> tires turn into hard, useless rocks. I'll be in a, uh, a CLS AMG uh, version, which is it is the beautiful older uh, model that he can't bear to part with because the new one is a jelly bean, and the <laughs> previous generation has just lovely lines and a serious bit of uh, horsepower under the. Under the hood, he was looking at a Taycan, and what prevented him from pulling the trigger on that is you can't put two golf bags in the trunk. And apparently, this is a big issue for a lot of buyers. Can a golf bag fit into the trunk, Yes. which it supposedly can do in the new Corvette? I never would have even thought to ask about that. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Hannah Elliott. You can find all of my work on Bloomberg.com or on Instagram at Hannah Elliott XO. That's two H's, two L's, and two T's. I'm Barry Ritholtz. Check out Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. And be sure and check out our new podcast, At The Money. That's on Apple Podcasts, and it will soon be everywhere. Matt will be back next week. Thank you so much for Barry Ritholtz, my special co-host today, and really the best friend of the pod. I'm Hannah Elliott, and this is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.